Will you pray with me? God, we come before your presence with thanksgiving for this day, for your word. God, we pray as we meditate on your word that you would speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning we are continuing our journey into the, uh, into the book of Romans chapter 8. And today we come to the last section um, of this chapter. For the past uh, several weeks uh, we've been looking at this chapter and meditating and see what this means for us. Uh, and we looked at the importance uh, the last time we looked on Romans 8.28 uh, about what God does with our brokenness. We believe in a God who is at work. No matter how difficult the situation that we find ourselves in, that God is at work. And God works to make all things good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. God is at work in your life, and God is at work in my life. No matter what, how difficult life is and what life throws at us, God is at work. Amen? Amen. And this morning we are coming to the meditation on the last part that I said. And Paul writes these powerful words. Uh, we looked at no condemnation, no frustration, no desperation. And this morning, no separation. Absolutely no separation. This morning's passage that I want to share with you, I've broken it up into three different sections uh, and wanted to look at it uh, together with you and also share with you a biblical story that supports uh, what Paul is saying here. And those three ways that I've broken up this passage is first is who can be against us? The second is shall famine or nakedness can separate us from God's love? And finally, I'm convinced that neither angels nor demons can separate us from God's love. So verse 31, this is what we read. What then shall, shall, what then shall we say in response to these things? So Paul is coming to this end and he's saying, what then shall we say? Paul is saying, okay, what more can I say about our God? There is no condemnation. There is no frustration. There is no desperation. What else can I say is the question that Paul poses to himself. And he guess, I guess I can write a few more things to you, church. And he goes on to say, who can be against us if God is for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, nothing in this world can stand against you. What does it mean for you and me to have something to stand against us? When you're thinking about this question, the next logical question for us to answer or confront is what is the giant that you might be facing today? When you see the next season of life, the next season of ministry, tomorrow, next week, what might be staring down at you and saying, we'll see how big your God is. We'll see if your God is big or the giant that you are seeing is bigger. See, each one of us can identify ourselves something that we are looking at and saying, this is too big for me to handle. Whether it be a work situation, uncertainty about a job, health issues, worrying about our children, just the uncertainty of the future. What is your giant 
that you are facing today. I want to share with you a story that most of us have learned in Sunday school. The story comes to us from Samuel, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, and we read these words. The Philistines took position on a hill, with Israel took position on the opposite hill. There was a valley in between them, and a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistines' camp. He was more than nine feet tall. He had bronze metal helmet on his head and, a, and wore bronze scale armor weighing more than 125 pounds. This man, Goliath, was a giant. The Philistine army was present and wanted to destroy Saul and his forces. Saul was the king of Israel at that time. So these both armies battled, came together to battle. And what stands out to me about this passage is verses uh, 14 and 17. This is what, in Samuel 17, this is what we read, that Saul would go out every day and walk into the valley from the camp that he was at. He would walk down, stand there, and mock the people of Israel. He would not only mock the people of Israel and the Israeli army, but he would also mock the living God that they worship. He did this for 40 days. 40 days, he would just come down and mock. Walk down, look at the people, and just mock. And saying, are you ready to face me? Friends, this morning I want to ask us and pause and reflect on this question. What giant is taunting you? What giant are you terrified about this morning? Who might Goliath be in your life? See, and David is willing to stand up against this giant. David goes and tells King Saul that he's going to win the battle. That David has all the strength in the world to go and face this giant. David in this passage is actually described as a young boy. Imagine this for a second. You know, I love sports, so here's another sports analogy for you. Imagine a linebacker who's seven foot tall with 250 pounds that's lining up against a five foot five, 120 pounds, and they're both at each other, about to hit each other. Who do you think is going to win? Come on. You can talk, it's church. Right? The linebacker who's bigger. Like, that's obvious. That is absolutely obvious. The linebacker is going to win. In this instance, again, it is obvious that the giant is going to win. But this is what David declares to the giant that he faces in that valley. I come against you in the name of the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel's army. David, the boy, the David, the puny guy in this battle. I bet he weighed less than all of Goliath's armor, 125 pounds. David is willing to go to battle with a giant and say, I am come before you in the name of the Lord. Friends, this morning I want to remind you, no matter how big your giant that you are facing or going to face, I want to remind you that if God is for you, who can be against you? 
What then shall we say? Paul is asking us. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? No matter what giant you may be facing this day, remember that the God you serve is bigger, greater, and mightier than the giants that are before you. Amen. And the next portion uh, that I wanted to focus on is now <clears throat> we read these in verse uh, uh, Romans 8.35. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine or nakedness, danger or sword? Who shall separate us from God's love? Who shall separate us from God's love? The words described by Paul here find us in that space that we begin to question where God is. These are not happy feelings. Hardships don't give happy feelings in our soul. Trouble doesn't give a smile in our heart. Famine, nakedness, danger, and so don't give a smile on our faces. We worry when we are experiencing or walking through those situations. This morning, especially, I wanted to focus on one of those words that is famine and nakedness. Right now, we can say that for those who are living in the United States, um, we are not experiencing famine or nakedness, but we might be experiencing something akin to it. Maybe not enough financial resources to face the future. You wonder if you can make ends meet. If you, you wonder if you can keep your head about water and this is not a good feeling. Especially when this sense of inadequateness is also leading to caring for your children and those who depend on you. Several years ago, I was doing a 30-hour famine uh, with our church youth group. Um, for those of you who don't know what 30-hour famine is, is essentially the teenagers, the youth group kids are told not to eat uh, for 30 hours. You usually start your fast Friday morning and you don't eat till uh, Saturday afternoon. And during this time, usually Friday into Saturday, there is a service project on Saturday but that Friday night, everyone kind of gathers together and there's a, a time of teaching where these teenagers are taught about what poverty does uh, in some developing nations and what we can do as Christians uh, in America to help those who are struggling with poverty. After this whole thing, after this educational videos were shown and then a speaker came up and spoke about what is a Christian response for us when we are looking at those who are poor. After the whole weekend was over, I, was, I remember talking to a youth leader and she said something that, that day, that afternoon, that really affected me. She said to me, I keep wondering what I would say to my child if I was in that place and I couldn't provide for my daughter. I wonder what I would say. See, when she said these words, I was not a parent at that time, but now reflecting back on them, there's some powerful words. 
when you and I find our place in that space where we feel like we don't have adequate resources to provide for those that we care and love. All we do is we look up and say, God, I need you to show up. I need you to show up. And friends, if you are in that place, I want to remind you of this story that comes to us from Kings chapter 2. Um, uh, the book of Kings um, uh, chapter 4. It's about prophet Elisha and a poor widow. See, this widow uh, lost her husband. And that means that immediately because she lost her husband, she lost her livelihood. There was no income that would come to the family because the husband was the breadwinner for that family. And this family's loss is compounded with even more. Not only did she lose her loving husband who provided for the family and she has two kids, and now that family was in debt as well. And the debtors knew that there was no way this widow would be able to repay her loan. So the debtors were coming to take her children away as slaves. And she is desperate. Knowing fully well she cannot provide for her family. And she cannot keep her two sons out of slavery. She's aware of this. And she goes to prophet Elisha. And I want you to read, I want to read these words to you. Starting in verse 2. Elisha said to her, what can I do for you? Tell me what you still have left in the house. She said, your servant has nothing at all in the house except, except a small jar of oil. He said, go out and borrow containers from all your neighbors. Get as many empty containers as possible. Then go in, close the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all those containers. Set each one aside when it's full. She left Elisha and closed the door behind her and her sons. They brought her containers and she kept on pouring. When she had filled the containers, she said to her sons, Bring me another container. He said to her, There aren't any more. Then the oil stopped flowing. And she reported this to the man of God. And he said, go sell and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what remains. See, this miracle, this miracle sounds ridiculous. This miracle that I just read to you almost sounds like someone just made it up. But friends, this is the power of God at work. This is the power of God at work. She, all she had to do was listen to what the prophet Elisha said. She went out and got jars, empty containers, and she filled them with oil. God showed up. God showed up when she felt like she was insecure, financially insecure, could not care for her family, and God showed up. Friends, this is true. This is the fact that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither famine nor nakedness. God is going to find a way to provide for your needs. God's love is going to show up in some ridiculous ways that we can't even imagine. And you will be amazed.
And finally, we come to verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I have met two kinds of Christians. I know some of you might be saying to me, only two kinds of Christians? Let me explain this to you. I've, I've found two kinds of Christians, and I'll kind of, it's a broad categorization of the, who these Christians are. One is they believe 100% in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe in God. They believe in the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to the demonic world, they just don't think demons exist. When I spoke to them, I asked, do you believe in God who is invisible? And they said, absolutely, Pastor, I do. Do you believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to restore the relationship between humans and God? They said, yes, absolutely. Do you believe the Holy Spirit was sent to the world so that God can strengthen the church and we can worship? They said, yes, absolutely. And I say, what about demons? And they say, oh, there are no demons. And they actually sometimes have the audacity to say to me, have you ever seen a demon before? To which I said, have you ever tried to parent a teenager before? Right? There are some Christians that don't want to believe that there are any demons in this world. We almost don't want to engage in that conversation about demons. But on the other hand, right, like there's this one extreme on this side, and there's another extreme on this side. On this side, they see demons everywhere. They see demons everywhere. They are constantly looking for the devil. Devil is active in their lives. They see devil everywhere at work. I remember a friend of mine telling me this story. His buddy was going to a prayer meeting on his motorcycle. This was in India. And he was convinced that the devil was stopping him from going to this prayer meeting and sharing the good news of Jesus because his motorcycle was not starting. And he began to pray and cast out the demons from that motorcycle. And my buddy walked over to him and said, hey, did you check if the gas, if you have enough gas in the gas tank? He opened the gas tank, there was no gas. But he was convinced that there was devil at work. So here's my take on it. Here is my centrist take on this. I believe that there are demons actively working in this world. I take the words of Jesus literally from John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is actively working to destroy and kill things. Further, we read um, what Paul was writing when he was writing to the church in Ephesians. This is what we read in chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, we are spiritual beings, you and I. 
We are spiritual beings, and we need to be aware that the devil is working against us. But we are called by Jesus to walk in the light. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The work of Christ has the power to overcome everything that is broken in this world. And God, through Jesus, has restored back everything to God. For those who believe in Jesus, nothing, I mean nothing, I mean nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither demons, nor height, nor depth, nor past, nor future can separate us from God's love. That is the way I see this. This is what I say to the devil. Devil, I see you at work. But nothing can separate me from God's love. You don't need to fight. You don't need to look on the internet to find out how the, war, how the devil is at work in this world. All you can say is nothing can separate us from God's love. Absolutely nothing. Friends, this morning, I want to encourage you as we enter into a time of prayer to think about the giants that you might be facing in your life. Are you facing financial insecurity? Are you worried that somehow the devil might be overpowering your own world, your own life? And I want to remind you that nothing, that nothing, absolutely 100%, nothing can separate us from God's love. For greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the conviction to believe that nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. We ask this in your name. Amen.